Hey, it's John and Casey here from Are You Real? And we've been sleeping on my pillow now for over a month. And I'm telling you, our sleep has improved drastically. So what are you waiting for? When are you going to jump on board and start experiencing the kind of restorative sleep you need in your life? Are you waiting for a better offer? Well, your wait is over because if you go to MyPillow.com right now, you can take advantage of the MyPillow four-pack offer. Right, John? That's right. You get two premium MyPillows and two to-go-anywhere pillows at half off. Just go to MyPillow.com, use my code REAL, and get 50% off. Go to MyPillow.com, click on the four-pack special, and enter promo code REAL. Or call 1-800-943-4615. But don't forget, you got to use promo code REAL. Welcome to Are You Real? Finding the Authentic You, the podcast that focuses on Christians that are active in everyday life. Join in as we speak to everyone from successful business owners to educators to athletes about their faith and how it helps them reach out and revolutionize those around them to do the same. And now get ready to roar with your host, the voice of manifestation, John Fuller. Hey, Roar Nation, John Fuller here, and I am excited. Man, I'm really excited. Did I say I was fired up? I am pumped, and let me tell you why. There is nothing that gets me more excited than business. I love the aspects of it. I love creating stuff, growing stuff, building stuff. So if that is up your wheelhouse or in your wheelhouse, I should say, you are going to be excited today. So that being said, Scott, my friend, are you ready and fired up? John, I'm cranked, man. I'm beyond fired up. I am cranked up, ready to rock and roll. Come on, man. We're going to uncrank you, dude, and unleash you. Okay. So Roar Nation, check this out. Scott is the founder and head coach of MyBusinessOnPurpose.com. Totally dig that. And the host of Business On Purpose podcast. He liberates small business owners from the chaos of working in their business Hmm. and helps them to get their lives back by articulating and implementing intentional vision mission, values, systems, and processes. All right, man, that is a lot to unpack, Scott. (laughs) And you know what's funny is just reading your bio, I'm like, dude, I really need a lot of your help. So (laughs) that being said, why don't you tell us a little bit more about you as we dive into this? John, first, before we get started, just in case we run out of time on the back end, we have a podcast too, and I know how much work goes into putting on a podcast. And the fact that you put in the work and then share the stage is amazing. And I'm just, I'm really, really grateful. So I just want to tell you, thank you right out of the gate, just in case we do run out of time. Thank you very much for all the hard work, not only for me, for you, but all the people listening. A little background. I am a, I'm a, we call it a fragmented blueprint. If you're an architect, you might get that. I'm a bit of a mutt. I've actually grown up, I I live in the United States. I live in the southern part of the United States in South Carolina. We live in an incredible, beautiful, incredibly beautiful place, but I've grown up literally all over the country. My dad's an engineer. And so we literally just kind of followed the work from DC to Charlotte, to Houston, to Portland, Oregon, back to Greenville, South Carolina, to Columbia. And then I was out to Fort Worth and Augusta and back to Fort Worth. And in between, we have been doing work in Nigeria since 2006. And so we've 
kind of been, you know, the old country song. You're in Texas. I've been everywhere, man. I've been everywhere. I've not been everywhere, but I've been a lot of places and seen a lot of things. And as fun as that is, John, a lot of times it'll lead to confusion for you as a human being. And so it took me till I was about 39. I'd gone through life growing up, obviously school, went to the University of South Carolina, walked on the football team, having only played one year of high school football. That's a whole nother podcast episode. Dude, I got uh, it. Yeah, we're going to have to dive into I played college football, so I'm really curious about that. That's okay. Cool. Yeah. So we'll, uh, we can get into that a little bit if we have time. But I was a deep snapper. It's the only way I got onto the team. I did my market research, realized they only had one. And so I would get in the hallways at night of Bates West, our dorm room with cinder blocks, protecting everybody else from my errant footballs. And I would throw the ball upside down and backwards to my roommate, who apparently had nothing else better to do than catch footballs for me. And What a up, friend, man. Yeah. Ended up walking on the team and I actually started three games my first year. My first ever live snap in a live real American football game came in a small town in southern Louisiana called Baton Rouge against a small little school called LSU in their small little stadium of 82 or so thousand people in the pouring down rain. So it was fun. And so that and that led to meeting Ashley and Ashley and I led to marriage in 1998. We'll be celebrating actually 20 years at the time of this recording here in a couple of weeks. Congratulations. Uh, And then that led to three great kids, currently 17, 15 and 13. And so we've been journeying through that. Parenting teens is much different than parenting tweens, which is much different than parenting toddlers, et cetera, all the way down. And so we're learning that. But I would say, John, my life is one of mobility and learning all at the same time. Okay. Man, we got a lot in common. I think we were in school about the same time actually playing ball. And uh, that being said, I have a 17, 15, and 13-year-old. So wow. Exact same ages. So I get it. Anyways, it's fun. I do got to laugh, though. I've never heard anybody say that I'm a mutt. And, dude, I, I don't think that is <laughs> just awesome because I would definitely say I'm not a hybrid myself, dude. I'm definitely a mutt. I got a lot of, <laughs> a lot of different experiences. I've just never heard that said. Okay, Scott, that being said, throughout your life, you've done a lot of different things, seen a lot of different things. Has there been an inspirational quote or scripture that's kind of just led or directed your path? Yeah, there's been a couple of things. Habakkuk 2.2 is probably the one we go back to endlessly, especially in the business that we're in, because we will sit literally with a heroic small business owner and we will walk through them through the painful process of drafting out a vision story. This isn't like a paragraph. This is about a two to six page document, detailed snapshot of the future of their business. And it where that came about, a lot of people think that vision statements or vision stories, kind of a new, you know, Harvard Business Review, Peter Drucker idea. But in reality, vision is actually precedes time. The earth, depending on your faith conviction, does not exist without a vision. And so God himself had to have a vision, therefore, with from the vision, created what we're now standing on. And so I can go back through antiquity and, and give you, you know, there's an entire nation state, Israel, that exists today because one guy had a vision standing in the desert all by himself and said, hey, go to this geographic space that I'm going to show you. And lo and behold, over you know hundreds and hundreds of years, they finally got there. And now we've got a nation state that is representative of this idea of vision. So Habakkuk 2.2, it's an interesting kind of back and forth between God and a prophet named Habakkuk. And the, uh, the, the prophet in the first segment of this is kind of whining probably sounds like you and I can sound periodically in our life, They're kind of whining a little bit. And it's almost as if God just has enough and he stops and he says, I want you to write the vision down so that those who read it may run. 
Write the vision down so that those who read it may run. That is not metaphorical. It's real. Literally take an instrument of writing to an instrument that you can write on and take the detailed snapshot of the future that you see. Write it out. Because as Michael Gerber says, if you don't write it down, you don't own it. And so write it out. And then once you, John, read my vision, now you get to make a decision. You get to run, but do you want to run towards my vision or do you want to run away from my vision? It's one of the most powerful things we've uncovered as it relates not only to life, not only to faith, but especially to business. Because where there is no vision, it says in Proverbs, people scatter. And there are a lot of business owners that look around and go, yep, scattered is a great way to describe my business. So I have to directly go back logic. I'm a logical pragmatist. And so I've got to look back at that and go, wait a second, if you're scattered, therefore you must have no vision. And usually people get offended by like, no, 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 I've got vision. I'm like, do you have it written down? No, then you don't have one. And so that's been a big, big kind of power statement for us to constantly, it's been an anchor in the water for us to go back to over and over and over again. Absolutely. Okay. I'm trying to figure out where to go with this. So let's dive into, you, you have a business, you have a podcast, you're doing that. I want to talk about your vision and your stuff for your business, how that all started. But before we get into that, I want the backstory for my listeners, because what I feel like a lot of times through life, we do a lot of different things, and then we end up eventually finding what we love. And sometimes I think that comes at what I call a side hustle, or other people call a side hustle, getting into that. Let's dive, give me some backstory as far as you know, how you got into what you do now, because I'm assuming you love it. You're good at it. People obviously Mm. like Dan Miller and Aaron Walker are endorsing you. How did you get into that and why? Uh, John, my story is not interesting because everything's been perfect up until now. (laughs) Unicorns have been flying. I, you know, we eat chocolate and jelly beans. And Skittles. So, I mean, yeah, right. Unicorns poop Skittles. (laughs) I... I did not get into the entrepreneurial pool until I was 39 years old, and I I was not side hustled into the pool. I was pushed, and I mean that almost quite literally. And so here's the backstory. I went to seminary after the University of South Carolina got a master's degree because I had this kind of newly minted faith that I wanted to grow in, and a mentor of mine knew that I wasn't very disciplined for learning. I'd only read two books cover to cover by the time I graduated college, college, not high school. And so I ended up going to seminary, got a theology degree in 2001, graduated, ended up while I was at seminary, I was working for a publishing house selling reference materials to CPAs and CFPs. So that's where I cut my sales teeth. And then out of that, ended up doing the most logical thing a seminary grad would do. And that is to go sell legal drugs for Pfizer in Augusta. So we left Pfizer or left uh, Fort Worth and moved to Augusta to go sell drugs. I was drug salesman a couple times over, actually. And so I did that for a couple of years. And John could not, could not reconcile my work with my faith. And so okay, I was constantly- get, get into that. Explain that because you, you obviously what you did then, what you do now, these are totally different things. I see, I see how the Lord brought you through steps because you got to learn selling yeah. and different things. But I'm curious, internally, were you struggling? Hundred percent. I I would go all day in a suit, a company car, and a bag of medicine, and I would walk into doctor doctor's office after doctor's office, and I would look and I would see people, I would see humanity that's sitting in a doctor's office doing what people do in doctor's offices, seeing patients, checking patients in, checking vitals, inventorying prescription, all sorts of stuff that doctor's offices do, and yet I never got this sense because I didn't understand really the kingdom of God and what even that meant. 
in my mind, faith, living out your faith was stopping the doctor or nurse in the hallway and say, hey, if you die today, are you going to heaven or hell? <laughs> that's because that's how we were raised, man. That's right. That's the problem. Yeah. And and that doesn't it does, work. It, it does work. it does, but that not it's not the kingdom, though. Well, it works if you don't want a job at Pfizer. And so if you don't want to work at Pfizer and continue to provide income for your family, then do that all day long. Right. But if you would like to provide income to your family through Pfizer, then it's advisable probably not to do that. And so, but I knew, and not to the depth that I do now, nor the depth that I will in 20 years, but I knew that there's something here to be able to integrate faith and work. And what does that look like? Because I see people, I see humanity right in front of me. I've got this conviction that I've got, this faith conviction. Those two things need to marinate together. So how does it come out other than this really awkward exchange? And so 2005, got a call from a friend of mine who asked if I would come on staff at a church back out in Fort Worth. And so we left Pfizer because I I was trying to integrate my faith in my work. And so I thought, well, if I can't find it here, maybe I can be on staff at a church and then I can devote my whole life to this. And I got there and I was like, I don't know that I like this either because I miss the camaraderie of business. And you know what I really missed a business, John, was the humanity of business. Because what we're really good at doing, and everybody knows this, is we put on the mask as soon as we walk in the building. And we're like, John could have a really crappy day at home, but come into the to the the worship building and go, John, how you doing? And you're like, in your head, you're going, I feel like crap. Externally, you're going, I've never been better. Right. And so the, all this stuff's disjointed. So then I did what came naturally next is I went back to Pfizer. So five years of that, six years of that of being kind of in the ministry world. We actually started a church in the Fort Worth area that was part of the strategy of the church that was on. Real, so, hit, real quick, we, Scott, let's back up. So five years in ministry, are you still... And, and the reason I'm asking these questions is because I think you're hitting on some really good stuff. So you went, you're in the business world and you think, hey man, I got it. My faith is, you know, I got zeal. I need to be in ministry. So you go into ministry. You still felt the same thing you were feeling in the business world internally though, like it didn't gel. Is that right? It was worse, John. And here's the reason it was worse okay. is because I wasn't seeing true humanity when I was a pastor of a church. When I was walking into a doctor's office, I saw the reality of people because there was no varnish. I wasn't a pastor. Right. So they didn't, you, you know how people do around pastors, they'll go in for a cuss word, they'll get yeah. two letters yeah. in and then come back out. <laughs> yeah, it automatically gets cleaned up the moment yeah. they find out. And that. so you'll hear them yeah. go, oh, sh- oh, and then they'll back out. And, and as I, I remember doing this when we were church planning, one guy did that one time and I said, say it, just please say it. And he kind of looked at me awkwardly and I said, name, nobody ever cusses around me. And I just want somebody to do it one time. And so, I mean, I played division one college football. I've heard this before. I've seen things that most human beings have not seen before. I've been in situations that a lot of people haven't been in before. And so to be in this sterilized environment, oh, it was worse. Yeah, it was fake. Because I didn't, I didn't feel like there was a humanity to it. Does that make sense? No, it's perfect because what I love about your story is is we're going from that internal struggle to like, hey, I'm on fire. I should be in ministry. Well, you get into it and you're like, well, crap, this isn't what I thought it was going to be. So then you get back in the business world. So now you're back at Pfizer. I'm really curious how you're going to start working this one out because you've done both now and you're kind of at a place you got to figure out how your faith and business are going to intertwine. This time around, a guy called me from this town we live in right now. And he said, I'm going to plant a church in this tiny little town called Bluffton, South Carolina. I'd never heard of it. And I lived in South Carolina for a while. And my wife was born and raised here and she had never heard of it. 
And so we did some research. He asked if I'd pray about it coming to help him start the church because we had a mutual friend and they said, hey, this guy's kind of a serial church planner. And so he asked if we would come and I said, no. And then he called me probably two or three months later and he says, hey, have you prayed about it? And I said, no, because we're not coming. <laughs> I don't have to pray about it. No is and, no. And then he said, well, would you please just commit to pray over it for a few weeks? And then he called back and he said, hey, I want to bring you and your wife out here just for a weekend just to come. And so we were like, okay. And so we came out here and we didn't do it just for a getaway. I mean, we were very serious about it when we came. What happened to be Mayfest weekend in Bluffton, South Carolina, which anybody from the low country knows exactly what that is. It's when the heavens open up, the angels come down and it's just hysterically beautiful here. And which by the way, was just this past weekend. This was our 12th Mayfest since we've been here. It's the longest place times two I've ever lived in my life is right here in the zip code because remember, I'm a mutt. And so this is very unusual for me. So we ended up moving out here, but the agreement was, I'm not going to come on staff. I want to be in business. We'll help you plant a church, but I want to be in business. And so when we had planted the church in Texas, we had gotten started at a tiny little ministry in rural Nigeria that we were sending. Not only I was leading trips of small teams of volunteers over to that we were trying to do domain work with business in Nigeria from a faith-based perspective. And so that was just kind of play that track in the background, John. I'm going to come back to that in a minute. But just imagine that's playing from 2006, 2007, 2008. I'm going every year, mainly multiple times a year over to Nigeria. And so I'm at Pfizer and we're helping plant a church. We did that for a couple of years. And then we just kind of, hey, said, hey, go do it. We're tired. We're just going to go sit somewhere for a little bit. And so we went to another local church. It was already established. And we're actually still at that church. And so I'm doing Pfizer and I'm doing Nigeria. And I'm trying to figure out how do I get globally engaged? How do I integrate my faith at Pfizer? How do I do all this stuff? Then I figured out, John, wait a second. I get three weeks of vacation. I'll take two of those weeks one in the spring, one in the fall, and I'll go to Nigeria with those two weeks of vacation. I'll leave a week for my family. And then we've got some holidays that Pfizer's generous with. And so we, that, was our, that was how we integrated our faith and our work was by doing mission work globally. But what about the other 240 days that I was wearing a suit, pulling a bag, going into doctor's office, interacting face-to-face with humanity? And so 2011, the organization that we've been working with asked if I would come uh, lay out their vision, mission, and value set because they've seen and heard me do that for some other organizations just on the side, some I'd been trained to do, helped other people to do, but never did it kind of professionally. Real quick, Scott, where'd you get that skill set? I'm just curious. Is that something you learned through Pfizer or something you, it was kind of a passion on the side you were doing? I would say that it was three areas, John. It was an amalgamation of Pfizer training books because by this time I was a ridiculous reader. Okay. And then missions class in my third year of seminary is crazy. But the professor took a few weeks just to teach on vision, mission, values. I don't even know how it fit into the curriculum, but I will never forget how he laid that out. And I finally understood the segmentation and the difference between the three. And it's important. It's a, it's, it's a very important. We've watered it down so much. And I fear we've missed the essence of what it means to run the business if you don't capture what a vision, story, mission statement, a unique core value set are. Okay. So I hijacked that. So go back to your story. Yeah. All right. So. I've got that there. We helped them. And then about six months in, one of the board members called me and said, hey, there's no way we're going to be able to live up to this vision unless we've got a full-time director. It's about a half a million dollar annual organization, just to put some context to it. And we had 40 orphans uh, at an orphanage in Nigeria. And we had 42 staff running multiple domain sets, agriculture, microfinance programs, et cetera. And so they asked if I would leave Pfizer to come be the full-time international administrator for that organization. 
And so over about a period of a year, we finally decided to do that. And I forewent the Pfizer salary, the Pfizer pension, the Pfizer company card, the Pfizer suits, the Pfizer everything, and ended up going to this little tiny organization. And I was going, I was back and forth between Nigeria. We'd already had runway for years with them. My goodness, for six or seven years by this point. And two years into that, February 27th, 2015, John, it's a Friday. I flew to Fort Worth for our fourth straight emergency board meeting. I walked in at nine o'clock to a mustard colored boardroom that had not been renovated since about 1975. Nice. And I sat down and eight of the nine board members over a course of three hours resigned on the spot that morning because of an overhanded kind of a coup. I don't know a better word right. from the ninth board member. And it was a power play and he was going to do it and he was going to win it. And so they brought me in and they said, what do you recommend we do here are what our perceived options. And so we walked through them and realized the only option was for them to resign. And because my position, I was not a board member. I was a employee of the board because my position was responsible to them. They had to dissolve my position on the spot. So I'm just, I'm just trying to catch this real quick. One person had the power to overthrow everybody else. There was a trifecta of power with this one person. They were the chairman of the American board, the chairman of the Nigerian board, and they were a trustee of the organization. Hmm. Not healthy setup, by the way. I would not recommend that for other organizations. No, that doesn't sound like it worked out very well. Yeah, and there were some major decisions and restructuring that were need to happen because of a report that it was an audit I had gone over to do with a couple other professionals that had volunteered their time, and we brought the audit back. Well, it never made it back to the board. And by the time it surfaced, because um, I wasn't responsible actually getting the paperwork to the board at, at large, and this one person was, and they never brought it to them. And so by the time it surfaced and aired, they were blown away, angry, frustrated, and realized that they'd kind of been duped a little bit. And these are really, really smart professionals, by the way. And so they were going to... They were going to make a decision to oust the ninth, mem- ninth member, and the ninth member basically said, I'm a trustee, a legal trustee, custodian of the organization, and I'm the chairman of everything that goes on in Nigeria. And so you can do whatever you want here, but I'm still in charge over there. Wow. Okay. So that took a huge left or right turn, whatever direction you want to go. What did you do from there? It was a Friday, February 27th, 2015. I was 39 years old, married 17 years into our marriage, three kids, no job for the first time ever. And I, the board was kind enough, the eight members who were resigning were kind enough to cobble together a little severance for us. I took half of it and I hired a coach, Aaron Walker. I'd never owned a business. The only thing I'd started up was a church. I had led a couple of you know entities, but I, I was I'd never been an entrepreneur and a business owner. And so Aaron coached me into that, and through that, I didn't even know what product I was going to sell. And through that, we developed what is now the proprietary Four Steps to Business Freedom program. We built it literally from scratch, step one all the way up to the top, where we take heroic small business owners who are rolling in their business but feel scattered, feel chaotic. They're making revenue, but they have no idea if they're making money and a variety of other things that go with it, by the way. All right, are my people well-placed? Are, they, are the products the right? Are we pricing right? All that sort of thing. And so what we did is we boiled all of business based on principle, not strategy, but we boiled all of business down into these four major categories with a lot of subsets that are in there. And we literally methodically walk heroic small business owners step by step through 
<laughs> I'd hate to say some painful processes. I love it. But most business owners, I, this is funny, John, I literally carry around, this is no lie, like I could pull it out and shake it for you. I literally carry around a little baggie of ibuprofen for, not for me, but for the business owners. Uh, and when we drill down, I worked with a <laughs> well, guy. Well, that doesn't get me excited to work with you. I don't know what will. Well, here's the thing, John. Does anybody get excited to go do fitness exercise? No, nobody likes really doing fitness exercises and breathing really, really heavy and feeling that they're going to throw up. Nobody likes that, but we sure do like how it feels when we're done with it. Yeah, absolutely. And that's exactly what we do is we take you through a business workout. And when you get done, you're killing it. You're rolling. You're, you're looking at your business finally as a platform and a stage to serve the people that you're in front of. And that's what business is meant to be. Business is a tool within the greater kingdom. And our job is not a business owner, an auto mechanic, or a, a marketer. Our, 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 our job title is an ambassador for the kingdom. Now, the skill set which we use for that ambassadorship is totally based on what God gave us the capability to do. We've got to find that. And then We've got to manage that very well. In the church world, they call it stewardship, which is a great word, but it's literally just management. Yeah, Yeah, it's management. We've got to manage the skill set. And when we manage the skill set, we serve the people in front of us. And when we serve the people in front of us, now we're integrating our faith and our work. Hey, it's John and Casey here from Are You Real? And we've been sleeping on my pillow now for over a month. And I'm telling you, our sleep has improved drastically. So what are you waiting for? When are you going to jump on board and start experiencing the kind of restorative sleep you need in your life? Are you waiting for a better offer? Well, your wait is over because if you go to MyPillow.com right now, you can take advantage of the MyPillow four-pack offer, right, John? That's right. You get two premium MyPillows and two to-go anywhere pillows at half off. Just go to MyPillow.com, use my code REAL, and get 50% off. Go to MyPillow.com, click on the four-pack special, and enter promo code REAL. Or call 1-800-943-4615. But don't forget, you got to use promo code REAL. Okay, so I'm going to ask you some business questions. Before we get into there, let's go into management. So what do you feel like your biggest strength is in the, in what you do? Liberating small business owners from their chaos. Okay. What do you feel like your biggest weakness is? Building houses. Get out of here. That's my job. Fixing cars, flying planes. I mean, I I, I could go on and on with my list of weaknesses from a skill set. Now my list of weaknesses as a, as a business owner. Yes. One of the things that I'm weak at is making quick fire decisions. I'm not really great at that. I'm a process guy. Okay. I like methodical. I like process. I like enduring. I like slow to decision making. But there are times you can't. You can't do that, especially when it comes to people. It's literally written in our vision statement. I think about the third page of our vision story that we will not employ W-2 employees. We only have 1099s. We will not employ W-2 because I know my weakness. And my weakness is if I have a W-2 team member and they're not living up to the role that's been laid out, I will be way too slow to let them know that this is not a fit. Okay. So how do you, how have you overcome that besides the whole W-2 types, like quick decisions? How do you, how have you worked through that process? Like knowing Uh, that's your weakness. Yeah. So we process it out. So let me give you an example. We use something by Brian Moran called the 12 week year. If anybody's ever read it, you need to go uh, read it and implement it. 
And so the 12 week year, essentially every 13th week, you create a new 12 week plan. No more 12 month plans. Time's way too fast. And so you create a 12 week plan. Well, in that 12 week plan, you can only choose three major goals to focus on for that 12 weeks. And so right now we've got three major goals. One of them is a human connection touch point. We've literally created a human connection calendar with our clients. And so tomorrow we're sending one of our clients a game called Codenames Duet because it's their anniversary. So we're sending them a two-player only game. We do that with all of our clients. Next Monday, we've got two clients who are, uh, it's their birthday. And so we're sending them steak because we got, uh, we have them fill out a heroic client information form. We ask them what their favorite food is, what their favorite candy bar, what their favorite drink, all those sorts of things. So when it comes to gift giving, I'll sit and I'll look at Amazon for six hours debating on, should I get them this? Should I get them this? And then I'll get off and not get them anything. And so what we've done is we've literally taken the things that I'm weak in and quick decisions and we've processed it. And so in this case, with our 12-week plan, we've processed out the human connection touch point. Thank you notes are on there. I write out thank you notes. And so I'm currently meeting my goals for that. But with the 12-week plan, the other thing that happens is I'm an idea guy, as a lot of people are. And so when a new idea comes in the midst of a 12-week plan, in the past, I would go, ooh, man, let's follow that. And, and even in my faith mind, I go, well, maybe this is from God. And this is one of those things you hear on 60 Minutes where they just had a flash of an idea and they went into it and made six gazillion dollars, where maybe 0.00001% of the time that happens. Usually what it is is just a distraction. And at its best, a profitable distraction. That's what Tom Schwab calls it. And so what we do is we have a future section on our 12-week plan. So if somebody comes up with an idea within our 12 weeks, we are not allowed to implement it. We have to put it in the future section of our 12-week plan. And then the next 12 weeks, we evaluate it. And then if it makes the 12-week plan, boom, we're all over it. We'll kill it at that point. And we'll make quick fire decisions around that. So we've really tried to process how we make decision-making. So I don't rely overly on gut, but I'm not overly slow either. Okay. I love that. That's, that's really good advice. That it's funny. You said that I've gotten down. I'm a, uh, I love books and I love reading, but I've got into the habit of just collecting books, I should say now. And where uh, I start yeah. it and I have multiple books going and then I've, I haven't quite done it yet and I need to, but where you just, um, I've said, okay, I'm only going to read this book for a certain amount of time. And then I'm going to implement what I read and not just jump onto the next book. Yeah. Because I think a yeah, lot of people hard. do that. It's really hard. Okay. I want to ask you about this. You talk about systematizing and processing your business. How do you help small businesses do that? So we walk them through four steps. The first step is really, really straightforward. The very first place we've got to start is vision story. And so that's where we start is to literally sit down and draw out a detailed snapshot of the future of the business because most people have no idea where they're going. And so we've got to create that with great clarity. And we do it through seven different sections. How far out is it? We call that the term. How far is your term of your vision? The second is the family and freedom. That's necessarily tied to your business. We get a lot of pushback there. People go, well, this is my business vision. No, it's all connected. It's all connected. And so we lay out the family and freedom section. Then we talk about the finances, talking about profit as a priority. And then we get to revenue later because you could tell me that you do six million in revenue and I don't care. What I'm really interested in is what's on the bottom of that net income statement. And then what I'm really interested in is what's in the bank account, because you could have $100,000 on your net income statement and be overdrawn by $30,000 in your bank account. And so we dive in a lot in that in the vision story. Then we have a product section 
We have a client section. We have a team section. What do all those things look like in that term? And then we have a culture section as well. And so you're laying all that out to define exactly what that's going to look like in that amount of time. And once we've got that done, then we move into an entire exercise, which is incredible. It's liberated so many people. It's a delegation roadmap. We get everything that you currently do in your role. I mean, you do building and remodeling. I cannot imagine how long your list would be. Everything. Like, John, if you take out the trash, we make you write that down. And then we require you to rank it according to the amount of time it takes you, how much energy it gives you. Uh, We literally have a ranking structure for this. Also, how much money it costs you based on the time that it takes you. And then how delegatable is it? One, two, or three. Only you can do it. Number two is only you think you can do it. And a number three is you should have delegated this a long time ago, but you haven't. So we get all that out on a sheet of paper and kind of down in front of you. We then set up a small business owner's profit lab, all their bank accounts, to make sure that they're actually running a profitable business instead of just running a business. Then we walk them through their team meeting structure, their non-negotiable weekly schedule. We teach them how to build process. And then we have a master process roadmap where every single process in their business sits on one sheet of paper. And so if somebody ever went to train on their business or sell their business, they would literally take a person to that one sheet of paper and they would go, hey, this is our business right here. On one, No matter how complicated your business is, we've done this for dental clinics, home builders, architects, chiropractors, all of these sorts of people. The whole thing on one sheet of paper. And then, of course, we dive into mission, unique core values and how to make how to make decisions, job roles, org charts, all of that stuff. So everything that it takes to run a business, to own a business instead of the business owning you, that's what we teach them on. Man, I love what you're talking about. So let me ask you this. What about, I'm just going to throw an example out there for you. So I'm going to take my podcast, okay? So it's different. It's a it's a side hobby. Would love to turn it into, say, a business or something like that. And there's a lot of people out there that maybe just barely even have an idea, like kind of like where you were at before you hired Aaron. Do you walk people through the start of that process or people that have already have a business, they're implementing things, have some structure? How does that work? If they don't have an idea, that's not our space. Um, Yeah, idea formation is usually not our space. We point people to Dan Miller, the three legs of the stool, and say, hey, basically, you got to find what you're passionate about, what the market will pay, and what you're competent in. Those three legs of the stool Dan Miller talks about, passion, competency, and market. And then from there, we can take that structure. And usually the heroic small business owners we work with are already in business. There's a rare exception where we'll have somebody from, and we do have a couple of those that we work with currently who came in. They know the market that they want to get into. They know where they're going. They just need the structure to get there, and they want to build it on the front end rather than waiting on the back end. And so, but, But here's the thing to remember, John. What systems, this is a rhetorical question, but what systems does it take to run a toddler and a newborn versus what it takes to run a 47-year-old man? Right. It's the same 11 systems, skeletal, cardiovascular, et cetera, all the way down. It's no different in business. It's the same principle to run a business that generates $80,000 a year or $80 million a year. Mm, that's exciting. Okay. So let's slowly wrap it up, but I want to ask you this. You have another thing. What are you talk about two non-negotiables for running a small business? What is non-negotiable for us who run in businesses? Write the vision down so that those who read it may run. That is the first non-negotiable. If you do not have a vision story for your business, you will be scattered, period. Doesn't matter how, how good your process is. Well, Scott, what about job roles? Great. What about process? Great. But if you've got no vision, then what's the point? It's like it's no different than having a Ferrari in your driveway 
getting in it, cranking it up, speeding down the road and looking up in two hours and going, wait, where are we going? And not having a clue. That's the first non-negotiable one I'm dead serious about. The second one, as crazy as this sounds, are team meetings, team meetings. Because if me and my wife decide we're just going to stop communicating, then I think you could statistically tell us what's going to happen to our relationship over time. So if I go into into a small business and say, hey, are you communicating on a regular basis? Oh, yeah, all the time. Are you communicating consistently? No, 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 no. But we talk all the time, but consistently. Then what's going to happen is the degradation and the dissolution of a business. Whereas Ashley and I sit down every night around 9, 9.30, either on the front porch or the back porch, and we have our time to just sit and visit. Now, we talk throughout the day. We text throughout the day. We do all that stuff. There are a lot of people who do that as well. And the relationship falls apart. Why? It's because there's no consistency in the communication. There's no set expectation for when that's going to happen. And so vision story and team meetings, if those two things don't exist, and we found this time after time after time, if those two things don't exist, they're the two greatest indicators of the health of a small business for us. Okay. Can you, in a maybe a 30,000-foot view, take me just to a quick story of somebody you've coached maybe over the last year and just kind of talk about where they started and maybe over the last year, kind of where they've ended up and by implementing your systems in their business, what that looked like for them? John, let's stay in your world. And this is fresh. This past Friday and Saturday, there's a company called Shoreline Construction. You can look them up. It's shorelineconstructionsc.com. They build homes anywhere between six or seven hundred thousand to two million dollars in a really nice market down here. And you might be saying, well, they're, they're luxury homes. They're, no, 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 no. They still got to make a profit and they still got to do everything that you do running a three hundred thousand dollar business or a million dollar business. And so three years ago, we got started in coaching and we walked through this process, vision, mission, value, systems, processes, the team meetings, the weekly schedule, everything. We walked through all of it and Chris implemented and he implemented relentlessly. This past Friday and Saturday, he went and bought out a ballroom at the Marriott on Hilton Head Island. He took his entire team and they went for a full day of training around the business and then a half day of training around the family and marriages. This is a business conference that's doing this. And on Friday and Saturday, he paid for hotels, he paid for the food, he paid for the lobby, actually brought in trade partners to help him with it. So they would help sponsor the event and invest in his people. And he's got about 20 team members. And over a period of a day and a half, he watched as his team members' lives significantly improved just by the investment he's made. Now, I could go back over and over and over again on profitability. I could tell you numbers. I could tell you all sorts of growth metrics that at the end of the day won't mean a hill of beans to anybody listening. But what will mean a hill of beans are John and Sharon who John works for the company. Sharon is his wife. They came to the event and I see Sharon crying on Friday because of the things that are being talked about and invested into their family. Because I guarantee you, Sharon never thought John would ever have a job where they as a couple could sit down in the, in, in the context of business with the owner of the company in the room and actually work on their marriage and on their family, knowing that the day before he was working on job costing reports. And he was working on client experience matrix and all sorts of things. And so to watch a company go from a just a typical home building company to a company now that sees itself as a stage to serve, it's, it's powerful. It's incredibly powerful. Again, I could, I could walk you through all the details, but nobody's going to remember that. What everybody will remember 
are the team members that work within the company whose lives have been changed and are continuing to be changed because of it. That's really exciting you said that because to me that is kingdom. And that's what people don't realize is they've utilized the they're managing their gifts and their talents that they've been given. And they're using that to impact not just people, their clients, but people that work for them and they're changing marriages and families and all that. That's that to me is true ministry. It is. It is. And I had a dear mentor of mine basically the other day told me the stage of the kingdom of God is in business right now. Yeah. And and it is. It's true. And so I think that would be one of my biggest. It's been one of my biggest encouragements to me. And so I want to share that encouragement with everybody is leverage your business as a stage. Don't do an end around. Don't do what some of those missionaries were doing where they would go start a business so they could share the gospel. Don't do that. Have a legitimate business, a business that serves. And by serving, the gospel will come through. Amen. Okay, Scott, real quick. If you were to go back in time to a younger you, you're going to pick an age that you're going to go back to and you're going to give yourself advice. Nothing's going to change. You're just going to give yourself one of those good motivational pep talks. What age would you go back to? What advice would you give yourself? Mm -hmm. I'd go back to probably 14 or 15. And I would say, I want you to go find some books that you would love to read about topics that you're interested in and just go read instead of this nonsense that they were trying to feed me in ninth grade that I didn't understand, didn't care about. I'm sure it's great. I appreciate Charles Dickens and everything he's done, but dang it, he made me fail ninth grade because I was so uninterested (laughs) in what he wrote. And so what I would encourage is what I'm trying to encourage my kids to do. Hey, are you into, are you into robots? Then let's go find books that talk about robots. And so I would tell myself to go back because I'm a big Thomas Jefferson believer in his quote. I don't know about the man, but in his quote, he said, I cannot live without books. And I agree with that. God himself decided to give us his legacy through a book. And I would go back to myself as a teenager and say, hey, let's go find some fun books that you would get into. And let's really teach you how to read. Dig it, Scott. That's great advice. Okay. So as we wrap up the show, I would like to know what advice would you give? You've given yourself advice. Now, what advice would you give my audience? Write the vision down so that those who read it may run. That's it. Slam dunk. Drop the mic. We're done. <laughs> that's all. That's all. <laughs> I mean, that's I, it, I'm, I'm dead serious about it. Where there is no, no vision, you. people scatter. And so we can talk about all sorts of strategy, but that's all it is. And what we tell people is principle envision each strategy for lunch every day. Amen. I love it. Okay, Scott, how do we connect with you, my friend? Hey, probably the best way is we put our money where our mouth is. We're so serious about the vision thing. If you just go to mybusinessonpurpose.com forward slash vision, we've got our entire vision tutorial and template right there completely for free. No strings attached. We don't make you like reach to the moon and back and send you 18 different follow-up emails before you get it. It pops Right. You go there, you input something. I think it's an email address or something and boom, there it is right in your browser. And if you're dead serious about writing out your vision so you can start running and getting other people to run either with you or away from you, then go there. Mybusinessonpurpose.com forward slash vision. We're going to check it out, man. Scott, I just want to thank you so much for taking the time to jump on. It's been a lot of fun. And man, if you hold on just a second, I'm going to wrap it up. Sounds great, John. Roar Nation, love you guys. Thank you so much for tuning in. Don't forget to jump on our website, areyoureal.org. We will have links to Scott, his all the show notes, all those things. And also don't forget, for those of you that get the emails that send me struggling with purpose or finding purpose, I got one this morning actually, 
We have a free chapter of our book, DIY Remodel Your Life, on the front page. It's free. It helps you walk through finding purpose. So do not delay and get that free to help you walk through that. So love you guys and uh, excited for you to implement Scott's stuff into your life. And remember, be real, be authentic, and be you. God bless. That's all for this episode of Are You Real? Finding the Authentic You. Be sure to go to areyoureal.org for your free questionnaire to identify your gifts and talents and how you can use them to help people become leaders and catapult them into their destiny to help others become the leaders of tomorrow. We appreciate you spending your time with us and look forward to helping you reach out and revolutionize next time on Are You Real? Finding the Authentic You. Are You Real?